Please thee to now prepare our hearts. Grant, O Lord, that all of the elements of our worship may be done in spirit and in truth. May our worship be led by thy spirit. May it be in accordance with the truth of thy word, and may it be sanctified by Christ. And may it therefore rise up before thy throne, acceptable and pleasing, a sweet-smelling savor to thee. Bless our worship, sanctified in the blood of Christ. Grant that our worship may be offered from circumcised hearts. Accompany thy word by thy spirit. Grant that thy word may find its way into our hearts and that it may then give color to all of our life and living. May thy word penetrate our hearts and then permeate our lives. Grant that the renewing power of thy word and spirit may touch hearts and change lives. And as we're now about to open thy word, may we do it with reverence and with awe. May the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of thy word, thy word be accompanied by the power of thy spirit. May the very face of God be seen among us. May the very voice of Christ be heard by us. May thy people be edified, but above all, may thy name be glorified in the administration of thy word this afternoon. Father, we thank thee for the gifts and talents that thou hast given among us. We thank thee, Father, for him who must lead us at the council. We pray, Father, wilt thou grant to him what he stands in need of. We thank thee, Father, for the gifts and talents in music that thou hast given to him and to others among us. And we thank thee, Father, that they are so willing, so ready, and so willing to, to share those gifts with us as they use their gifts to assist us as we sing the holy anthems, the holy songs of Zion. And we pray that as we open thy word this afternoon that it would please thee to enlighten our eyes, that we may see the truth, and that thy spirit may be given and sent to cause that truth to penetrate our hearts. We pray that we would see ourselves as we are. We pray that we would not fool ourselves into thinking that we are more righteous than we are, that we might see those areas where our lives still displease the Lord. Encourage us, O God, by thy word to resolve to be conformed into the image of Christ in attitude, in thought, in speech. Teach us by thy word this day, we pray. We ask thee to open our eyes to behold wonderful things from thy word this afternoon. Bless also, Lord, the work of preparation. May it prove to be a faithful administration of thy word. Grant to him who must bring it the necessary grace to bring it in a manner that pleases thee. Remove from us anything that would hinder us from hearing and responding to the sweet voice of Christ again this afternoon. All of this we ask in the name, for the sake and in the merits of Christ, thy Son, our Savior, and our Lord. Amen. I now invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. I have done a whole series of sermons on this chapter. I have another Sunday with you later on in the season. I hope to do two more in this season at that time. This actually, the one that I'm going to do this afternoon, is the second one in the series. But I trust that each one of these sermons will be able to stand on its own. But I want to read the verses 1 through to 19. Matthew chapter 11, beginning to, hear, to read at verse 1. Hear the word of God with me. When Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? 
And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, and I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before me. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton, a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and and sinners. And yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. And I want to look with you in particular to verse 12 of this passage. Verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he add his blessing to the hearing, the reading, and the preaching of his word again this afternoon. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ gathered here in Wellenport with me this afternoon. As you watch your television sets and, 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 and as you watch these newscasts, and you cannot escape the fact that our world is filled with depravity. Murder, rape, theft, violence, anarchy, wars, political corruption at the highest level. All those things are the order of the day. And if you think deeply about what you see and hear day after day, you may begin to ponder that question of what is it exactly? What is it exactly that has gone wrong with this world? What is the matter with the human race that has made such a mess of its own home? Why is it, for example, that man is so cruel to his fellow man? Why can he not live with his fellow man in peace and in harmony? Why is the world so full of anger and strife and wars and tension and bloodshed and crime, violence and brokenness? Even animals usually will not mess their own nest, and yet man has and continues to make a mess of his world. Why is that now? a serious thinker perhaps would wrestle with these questions. Well, we can't answer that question, but in order for us to do so, we need to go to the very source of all knowledge and wisdom. And since God is alone, God alone is the source of all true knowledge, it's again only the scriptures which can give us light on such perplexing questions. The answers are there for us. The Bible is a book about life. It's a book about the world in which we live. 
It has clear and convincing answers to these questions with which we struggle. And, and when we then search the scriptures, we find that the origin of the horrible condition in our world is sin. But the Bible doesn't simply stop at a diagnosis of the problem, nor may we stop reading once we have discovered the answer to the problem. The Bible goes on, it goes on beyond simple analysis. The Bible, the Bible analyzes, if you will, the Bible analyzes the problem, it dissects it, it diagnoses it, and then the glory of the Bible, as opposed to any other book, is that it goes on to give us the remedy to all of life's perplexing problems. Walk with me. Follow me. The first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels. And the Gospel, of course, means the good news. And the great good news of the New Testament is that God has done something. And if men and women will believe and accept what God has done, then men and women can be more than conquerors, even in this troublesome world. In believing this good news, in believing what God has done, not only will men and women experience peace in their own hearts, but as more and more people believe the gospel message, as the kingdom advances more and more through the preaching of the gospel, then according to our Bible, the world would change. The world would become a better place to live. And this great good news of the New Testament is, of course, that the Son of God has come on the earth in the flesh to do something that has the answer for all of the distress among humanity. He offers deliverance from the oppression and anxieties of this world. He sets before man's eyes an offer of salvation. He offers a life of peace and joy and hope and happiness and blessedness, and he holds before our eyes a cross, a cross as a symbol of hope and glory. That's the message of the New Testament. That's the good news of this wonderful offer of the gospel. But that begs then for us another question. If that's true, if it's really that simple, if it is as we say that the world would become a better place through belief in the gospel, why then does not the whole world then to a man Stand up and say, we were wrong. Let us turn to God. Let us embrace this gospel message. Let us put it into practice. Let us live in peace with one another and get on with our lives in harmony. And it is now the answer to that question that confronts us here in this portion of Scripture chosen as our text for this afternoon. You see, we know from our Bibles that while Christ was on this earth, people already had difficulty with believing his message. Although Jesus came into the world to preach and to die, and although the gospel has been preached throughout the world ever since by the power of the Holy Spirit, the plain truth of the matter is that the vast majority of men and women pay no attention to it. As a matter of fact, by and large, most men and women continue to reject the Christ and his wonderful offer of so great a salvation. But we know also from our Bibles, and we know from our own life's experience, that there are also people who have believed the gospel, who have entered the kingdom, who have verified, if you will, the claims of the gospel, and who have experienced the blessedness of which the New Testament speaks. And so once again this afternoon, 
we will hear of the two distinct races, the two distinct different races which have given us two distinctively different histories in the world. We find in Scripture a history of the secular world and we are, see recorded also the history of the sacred or the Christian world. In other words, we will see once more the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. We will see again a history of Adam's children and a history of God's children. Two different kinds of people that make up all of history. There are those who are subject to the world and are defeated by it. And then there are those who went on to be more than conquerors in this world. And in this blessed class of men, this blessed class of men and women, in spite of many trials and adversities, there remained throughout all of their life within their hearts a constant and abiding happiness despite the corruption in the world. These people had, they had peace. They had a peace. They had joy. They had a certain exhilaration which you will find nowhere else outside of Christianity. That's a basic fact. And it is now of that that we read here in our text of this afternoon. And so I want to consider with you this afternoon the profound statement of our Lord. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by storm. I'd minister God's word to you using as my theme the violence of the gospel. The violence of the gospel. We will see, see those two different classes of people. We will see in our text, first of all, those who, those who do violence to the kingdom, and then we want to see those who violently storm the kingdom. We want to see those who do violence to the kingdom. <clears throat> and then we want to see those who violently storm the kingdom. <clears throat> Setting the stage in its context for just a moment, we noticed that the chapter opened up with John the Baptist sending two of his disciples to ask of the Christ, Are you the one? Are you the one we have been looking for all these years? Are you the one we have been waiting for? Are you the Messiah, or must we continue to look for another? And our, our Lord sends back his reply, confirming himself as the Messiah, and then he adds the words, Blessed is he who takes no offense at me. And the messengers now, at the time of our text, the messengers had gone back to John to report to him. They had left the scene, and now in our text we see Jesus, if you will, turning to the crowd. After the disciples left, he turns to the crowd who were pressing around him, and he begins to talk to the crowd about John. Listen with me as he begins to interrogate them. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A man clothed in soft garments? No, people dressed like that sit in palaces, king's palaces. But John roamed the wilderness, and as even now, John is enchained in prison. And he's there because he had dared to denounce the licentiousness of the king. No, he was not popular in that sense of the word. And our Lord goes on. No, you were, you were confronted there in the wilderness by, by a prophet of God, the herald of the coming of the kingdom, who had gone before me to preach the gospel. 
It was prophesied of him, Behold, I send my messenger who will prepare the way for me. And John was my messenger. He preached and worked on my behalf and in my name. And yet although that amazing prophet spoke as he did in the name of the Lord and in the power of the Holy Spirit, and although the prophecy has been fulfilled in my coming into the world, and although I have followed him doing these amazing miracles, yet says Jesus, yet says Jesus to the crowd, yet most of you treated him and me with complacent indifference. You were completely unconcerned about the good news proclaimed to you. You shrugged your shoulders at the commandment to repent and to, repent and to believe. The urgent warning that the kingdom is at hand that disturbed you not at all. You simply shrugged your shoulders and retorted, So what? So what? You continue to live as you had before. Nothing <laughs> changes in you. Nothing changes for you. Nothing changes to you. You are, you are as you were before. Before John and I came to you with the message of salvation, it left you cold and unaffected. And now in that context, we hear the words of Christ in our text. He says, it left you all unaffected. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered much violence. Understand well with me what our Lord is saying here. In other words, says Jesus to the crowds, in other words, he's saying, you have had, you have had in your midst the greatest prophet who has ever lived. You have heard the greatest story ever told, and you treated it all with indifference. It did not affect you. Your hearts remain sterile, impotent, and cold, and your lives are still sterile and impotent, and the world continues to deteriorate. And keeping this in mind now, and then remembering the introduction this afternoon of the two different kingdoms of history, the two different kinds of history, what Christ was there pointing out was that this indifference, this complacency, has always been among us. That men and women throughout history reject the promise is not a new phenomenon. And the cause of this rejection is also not new. We need to understand this well. We are all too often under the impression that if only, if only we can tell the good news, if only we can tell people what Christ has done, the masses will flock to us. If only we can tell the old, old story, people will eagerly embrace it. But, but, but people are being lost, we're told. People are being lost, we're told, because we have not told the story. How often has it not been said that the mess in the world is because of the failure of the church to evangelize effectively? And we need to walk carefully. I don't want to be misunderstood. I don't want to suggest that the church may take lightly her commandment to go into the world to make disciples of all nations. However, that statement does not mean that all nations will become disciples if we will but obey the commandment to evangelize. No, a correct understanding of the text here indicates that converts will be made. Disciples will be found. God's elect will and must be found among all the nations. And therefore, the task of the church is to preach the gospel to all nations since that is the God-ordained means to call men and women out of darkness. Those 
whom God has chosen as his elect nation, but, 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 we may not be under the false illusion that if we but will evangelize, all people will hasten to answer the call. Throughout all of biblical history, we learn that the very opposite is in fact true. And to that truth, Christ calls our attention here this afternoon. My dear people of God gathered here in Wellaport with me this afternoon. There are endless examples of this throughout the Old and the New Testament. God called a man named Noah, and he appointed him to preach, preach to the people. God lays upon Noah's heart to cry out to his world, flee from the wrath of God. You will remember that the sin of man had risen up to, into the, as a stench into the nostrils of God, and it was an, the sin of the world was, was an, <coughs> an abomination before God. And, and then God tells Noah in the middle of the wilderness, no less, to build an ark. And that project in itself was already a tremendous witness. It was a daily testimony to those who saw it, calling them to repent, for the kingdom is at hand. For 120 years he preached and urged his fellow men to be reconciled to God. Every hammer blow was a warning as he urgently pleaded with his countrymen, warning them of God's (coughs) impending judgment. He pleads with them to save themselves from the wrath that is sure to come. And finally, the ark was ready. The time for witnessing was over. The hammer blows stopped. The day of grace was finished and the door of the ark was shut and the evangelizing stopped. The results of his evangelization effort, only eight people responded. The rest were drowned for all eternity in their apathy and in their complacent indifference. As an evangelist, from a human perspective, we would need to say, Noah failed miserably. Remember with me also the story of Lot as he remonstrated with the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah. He pleaded with them saying, People, God, God cannot allow this to go on. Terrible judgment must come upon us unless you repent and amend your ways. But they simply ignored him. They dismissed his warning and and even our children know the horrible consequences of the sin in Sodom and Gomorrah. And then God sends his prophets His prophets to Israel with the same message, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Already now the axe is laid to the foot of the tree. Return to God. If you persist in your unbelief, God will judge you, and your enemies will overtake you, and you will go into captivity in a foreign land. Your holy city will be destroyed. Your beautiful temple will be reduced to ruins and ashes, and you yourselves will go into captivity and bondage. And God sent these messengers to plead with men and women to embrace the good news, to repent, and they treated it all with indifference. The children of Israel allowed their sinful apathy to stand in the way of an obedient response. You know the story. Into Babylonian captivity they went. Their own happiness was ruined because of the sin of their apathy and their indifference to the gospel call. Now we understand. Now we understand in this context that it was the same situation which Jesus finds in the culture of John the Baptist. Christ rebukes the crowds. Listen to him there. He says, there was John the Baptist. 
He came to you as the greatest prophet ever lived. He told you the greatest story ever told. He was an amazing man of God in the wilderness wearing a camel hair shirt, eating locusts and wild honey. But he preached the Christ. He preached the coming of the Messiah. But by and large, Jesus says, nothing changed. The majority also then treated the good news with indifference. Only a handful entered the kingdom. The rest reject the gospel message. Life remained the same. And the world as it was before the flood continued to deteriorate because of the sin of unbelief. And the world continued to decline, racing headlong into its own destruction. People of God, the world has not changed from the beginning of time. The hearts of sinful men and women continue to reject the Christ and his gospel. The coming of the kingdom still leaves the vast majority of men and women cold, indifferent, and unaffected. And here we are some 2,000 years, more than 2,000 years later, and the, the world rushes on unchanged at an alarming rate to its own destruction. Modern man has shut his heart and his mind to the message of the gospel. Man deliberately avoids thoughts of death and life beyond the grave. He has convinced himself that the Christ is not the answer. In fact, he is sure Christ does not even exist. Away with him. No, according to men and women today, better education, better housing, equal rights, justice for the oppressed, social programs. That's the answer. That's how we will pull ourselves out of the mess of this world. But, but, but it was already, already so there in Palestine during the days of John the Baptist. Our text tells us from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom suffers violence from the greatest part of humanity. The world lives on. It hears the gospel and dismisses it as foolishness. The world treats it with apathy and indifference. And the only tangible result is that our world becomes ever more secular, ever more depraved, and rushes headlong, not into the kingdom, but to eternal hell, to eternal destruction. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom suffers violence. But, but there's more to our text. From the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. A profound statement here by our Lord. A statement that we need to stop and savor every word. We need to consider every word for just a moment. Jesus indicates that John's work has not been in vain. John had led the way. He had pointed the masses away from himself to Jesus. And the crowds had followed Jesus. Understand here with me. Jesus is drawing power was not dependent upon the work of John, but in the providence of God and in fulfilling John's own prophecy, his preaching had contributed in paving the way for the coming of the Christ. And Jesus here acknowledges the work of the Baptist. People of God, in the same way, God does not need me. God does not need Reverend Dykstra. He doesn't need you. He doesn't even need this congregation to accomplish his determined end. But he has determined to use us to bring men and women into a saving knowledge of Christ and that way advance the kingdom. The kingdom, says Jesus, has been pressing forward. 
it has been advancing vigorously and forcefully. The opposition to the work of Satan is indeed advancing, as was already evidenced by the miraculous working and preaching of Christ. Sick were being healed, lepers were cleansed, dead were being raised, sinners were being converted to everlasting life. But as we have heard, many, very many, were refusing and resisting the gospel. But the violent, says the scripture, but the violent are taking the kingdom by force. In other words, Christ is teaching that vigorous, forceful men and women, people who are not afraid to stand up and to be counted, men and women who are not afraid to break with their Jewish or their pagan customs, men and women who are not afraid to return to the word of God in all of its purity, no matter what the cost, such people were eagerly taking possession of the kingdom in their hearts and in their lives, and the kingship of Jesus Christ was being established. Violent men are taking the kingdom by force, says Jesus. Oh, my dear precious people of God, we need to understand this well. What Jesus was emphasizing for us here is that men and women cannot sleep their way into the kingdom. On the contrary, entrance into the kingdom requires work, hard work. It requires earnest effort and endeavor. It demands untiring energy and utmost exertion. It requires much more than simple church membership or even church attendance. We may not underestimate the power of the prince of darkness. Satan is a mighty, tireless, unrelenting warrior. And armed and assisted by his host of fallen angels, he is committed to barring the way into the kingdom for men and women. And the most successful tool used by him to lure potential converts into hell is to grant them a spirit of complacency, lukewarmness, and indifference. Capture this with me. We see the gospel being preached in churches, in the mission fields, on television and radio and over the internet. The gospel goes out over the face of the earth and for the most part men and women everywhere are seduced by the deception of Satan and they turn their backs and shrug their shoulders in indifference. But, says Jesus, although that has been the case throughout all of recorded history, yet there are also to be found men and women, violent men and women, who take the kingdom by force. Such men women are not left cold and unaffected by the preaching of the gospel. Oh no, that powerful living word of God and the power of that pierces its way. The power of that living word of God pierces its way into the fertile soil of hearts prepared by the Spirit of God already in in eternity. And the power of that word makes these men and women violent. Oh, not violent in the sense of becoming raving mad and frothing at the, frothing at the mouth, being, being lunatics, being incapable of sensible actions and reasoning. No, no, that's not what it meant. These people become violent in the sense that they become eager to stand, eager to fight, and eager to conquer. They strive vigorously to overcome Satan and his influence. They strive eagerly and earnestly to take possession of the kingdom and the blessings of salvation. People of God, the kingdom is not for sleepers. It's not for weaklings or doubters or procrastinators or compromisers. No, the kingdom of God is at hand now. The call is urgent to repent and to believe now. 
Seek him while it is still the day of grace, while he may yet be found, for that day of grace is soon drawing to an end. The door to the ark will soon close, and then it's too late. Already now the storm clouds can be seen on the horizon, and it will come upon you like a thief in the night. The kingdom is not won by means of deferred prayers or unfulfilled promises, broken resolutions and hesitant witness and stuttering or embarrassing testimony. Oh, no. The kingdom of God is taken by storm, by violent men and women. God's kingdom is advanced by men and women, men and women of strong conviction, by men and women of strong assurances standing on the promises of God. That's what Christ wants us to know here in our text of this afternoon. He tells us the gospel is being preached the world over. The message is that he has come into the world to put men and women right with God. He has died for our sins. He himself has taken upon himself the sin of the world. God offers complete pardon to all who believe in him and who in faith accept him in all his benefits. That message offers newness of life. It brings peace in hearts and peace in the world for all who would believe it. That message assures men and women that although an army may encamp around them, though the mountains may tremble and be moved into the sea, though the world may forsake and kill them, nothing can separate them from the love of God in Jesus Christ. That's the message that John and I have been preaching, says Jesus to the crowd there in Palestine. But my precious saints of God gathered with me here this afternoon. That same message being preached from faithful pulpits in certain radio and television programs even yet today. But according to Christ, then, just as now, the majority of men and women reject the gospel message. But praise be to God, there were also some, only some, mind you, who believed the message. They saw their danger. They recognized the peril of their own souls, and they crowded, if you will, into the kingdom. They became so eager that they say, I must have this gift of so great a salvation. I must have forgiveness of my sin. I must have the mercy of Christ. I must have the Christ and all of his benefits, and I will not rest until I know myself sheltered under the safety of his wings. He must gather me and shelter me within the fold. That's the violence of these people. The knowledge of Christ makes men and women radically different from the world and radically different from what they were before. They became violent in their hunger for the blessings of the gospel. They became violent in their hunger for the blessings of Christ. In congregations, such people can be easily recognized. They have certain characteristics in common enabling us to identify them. You will know them in that you can recognize in them that their first priority is their personal relationship to Christ and the things of the kingdom of Christ. You will know from such people that nothing matters to them outside of the assurance that they belong to Christ. And such people, such violent people, are eager to accept their marching orders from the Word of God. 
Such violent people are eager to accept their marching orders from the word of God. They do not hesitate to stand, even stand alone, even in the face of ridicule or opposition. When commanded to build an ark, such violent people, they do not hesitate and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, that makes no sense here in the wilderness. They do not suggest, wait a minute, wait a minute, we ought to perhaps, perhaps appoint a study committee because these complex issues, after all the scriptures were written hundreds of years ago, things are different. No, those who take the kingdom by storm, they recognize the danger in hesitating to following the instructions of their Lord, people of God. Such men and women, such violent men and women are ready to give their wholehearted uncompromising obedience to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. They are totally committed to Christ. Allow me an illustration here. Imagine a man by nature, a man, a very calm and collected, complacent person. He's never been known to get excited about anything. And imagine now that that man sitting quietly in his home reading a newspaper minding his own business, and suddenly someone bursts into his house and shouts, Fire! That man looks up, and suddenly he finds himself in the midst of a blazing inferno. And he knows that if he doesn't get out immediately, he's going to lose his life. And immediately this complacent man becomes violent. He now recognizes his condition as being perilous and dangerous. He is now a man who has recognized the urgency of his condition. And he is desperate and has become violent in his desperate effort to escape death. That's now the kind of violence of which our Lord is speaking here in our text. Oh, people of God. The world, this world, the world in which we live will one day in judgment be consumed and destroyed by fire. Isn't it amazing then that although the heat from the encroaching flames can already be felt scorching and lapping at the heels of humanity just as in the times of Noah men and women still reject that offer of so great a salvation. The gospel message is spurned and Christ is being rejected. The masses of people living in the world refuse to see that their world is on fire. They continue to treat the claims of Christ with indifference and they continue to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we may die. But, 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 some men and some women have seen the urgency of the day They have seen the smoke of destruction and they have heard and recognized the way of salvation. It is by way of the cross. They have fled to that cross and they have escaped the flames through the precious blood spilled there on Golgotha. They have seen their precarious position and by the great grace of God they have tasted of the redemption in Jesus Christ. They know that their world is not getting better. They see it getting worse and they expect it to be so. They know that in Christ and in him alone is the solution to all the problems of the world, but they know also that because of a wholesale rejection of the gospel promised by the world, the world will continue to deteriorate and degenerate until the day of grace is full and God will finally destroy it in a ball of flame. But but, but they also know 
that by God's grace and mercy, the way has been granted for them to escape those impending flames of judgment. To them has been granted the way of salvation. They know that although the world may perish, they are forever safe and secure in the love of God in Christ. By the grace of God, in the mercy of God, they have escaped the flames of judgment of the world, and they have been pardoned from the flames of eternal condemnation in hell. And although burning flames are still with them, they are no longer being scorched by the flames of impending judgment. Oh, no! The flames are now raging within their hearts. They have become violent people because they are on fire for the Lord in thankfulness and in amazement for what God has done for them in Christ. May God make each of us such violent men and violent women, even children. Grant yourself no rest until you are intimately familiar with the transforming power of the gospel. Grant yourselves no rest until you have become a violent person storming the kingdom of God and taking it by force. Shall we pray? Oh Lord, once again we've heard the gospel message and what a glorious message it was. Use it, O oh Lord, to convict us that if we will but let the Father guide us, relying on his faithfulness, he will be evermore beside us in all our sorrow and distress. He who on God most high depends builds not his house on shifting sands. Lord, help us to stand up for Jesus, knowing that the strife will not be long. This day we hear the noise of battle, the next the victor's song. O Lord, you have promised to him that overcometh a crown of life shall be. He with the King of glory shall reign eternally. May, may we find ourselves in the company of such violent men and women. In Jesus' name. Amen. For our song of application, let's turn to hymn number 542. 542, stand up, stand up for Jesus, and we'll sing all four of the stanzas. <laughs>